2: rely on on x hunt when i'm hunting turkeys it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool hey i'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the meat eater podcast which is poncho outdoors the reason i'm excited is i buy their shirts anyways dude they make some good shirts and they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude you can click like the skinny dude thing it's great based in austin texas poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or t-shirt with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. Meat Hunt, the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Uh, Giannis, you earlier you were researching a product. I was thinking. You know when you're talking to Ridge Pounder? If you put it out to the listeners, they might have input. They could email into you about the product you're researching. <laughs> 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 trying, was
1: that the 95-millimeter polarizer for my new spotting scope you're no.
2: talking about? No. <laughs> it was a little earlier in the day. that. It wasn't that. <laughs> oh, I, I know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> I think that will solicit way too much uh fanfare. So I think
2: that every everybody well, have Some people would have adamant opinions about it. Mm-hmm. Some people would be aghast. And if your in-laws in the South have a problem now <laughs> with what goes on. Um uh, I'm drinking bourbon right now, which I just do not like. I think that uh, oh, I remember one time I got grounded for a long time. And my dad let us go on a canoe trip instead of being grounded, which I, don't, I still don't fully understand how why he let us do that. But we were grounded for for lying and and then lying some more to 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 back, to cover up the lie, and then things went downhill from there. And we got grounded, but we we're allowed to go on a canoe trip. And I remember sitting and drinking. Uh, I was 15, my brother was 16, and I remember sitting there at the head of the White River um, drinking, I think it was Canadian Hunter. And since that day, I just have never liked this stuff. Is that even bourbon? That's no. a
3: Canadian whiskey. It's a <laughs> blend any of this stuff, man. <laughs> Blended. Um,
2: yeah, any of this stuff. I like uh uh, Roman vodka. This has got to be one of the more boring beginnings to anything I've ever done <laughs> in my entire life. Mark, what did you see this morning here in camp? Well, <laughs> this is, the voice, open, this, is the voice of, uh,
4: this is Mark Kenyon. Pulled open my tent door, and literally the first thing I saw—not the grass, not the sky—a mama grizzly and cub right in
2: camp,
1: five feet away from the crew. The very tent we're sitting in.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, we're in a tent right now. If you hear, like, noise, pitter-patter noise, that's rain. So if you don't like the sound quality of this show, that means you don't like nature. <laughs> <laughs> so you should go listen to the Rob Bishop podcast. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, this is, uh yeah, the, the the pitter-patter sounds. And we've had, like, um, yeah. Yanni, talk about the grizzly, the other grizzly. A lot of grizz.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, this. we'd already, we think, more than likely... That was the same mama, mm, sow. First grizz. Oh, I know. I'm just saying mm. that we had, we've we we'd been watching uh, the sow and her cub um, for better, well, probably half a day yesterday as they ate berries, as they vacuumed berries across the uh, tundra. But the uh, the first grizz was uh, also right below camp. And we had just come in after looking at some caribou and uh, it was the first day we got here, so we couldn't hunt. Yeah, in
2: Alaska... Generally, I think it's fair to say, generally, in Alaska, generally, you cannot hunt on the same day you fly, preventing people from spying a critter from the air and then landing near it and, and, and shooting you. Have to let a nighttime pass. And I believe now that um, because they felt like even the day
1: before was giving too much advantage, I believe there are some sheep units now where it's up to like three or four or five days. I'd have to fact check that, but I think there's guys that have to go in and basically scout for five days before they hunt, if they want to take a
2: plane in, or you, or you can walk in. Really? hmm Yeah. And I know that, like, there, there's some stuff with not even being able to, uh, not being able to scout from the air. Difficult to enforce, but not being able to scout from the air. So anyhow, there you are. There we are. Oh, you guys had all gotten back to camp first,
1: and... Uh, What was I doing? I must have just peeled off to get a little uh, footage, looking at something. And uh, yeah, I noticed a big uh, blonde blob right below Garrett's tent. (laughs) I came over here and we walked over the edge and found it. And it was probably, what, I don't know, 150 yards away when we saw it. Mm -hmm. We watched it hunting. It It wasn't eating berries. It was hunting rodents, ground squirrels, I guess. Yep. You think it's mostly ground squirrels, or is it like a
2: vole, mole type thing they're after? Uh, I mean, they could be, yeah, voles, moles. They could be looking for the all manner or
1: Something subterranean.
2: Yeah. Because today on the way
1: hike back, we saw some of the diggings, and it looks like they just take two or three quick swipes,
2: dig a hole about a foot deep, and then move on. Yeah, it's amazing how much trouble they'll go through to unearth something so small. Yeah. But it's, if you think about it, it's probably they don't. I mean, probably, a power bar probably has more calories than one of these things that they're eating. Yeah. Right? And they'll dig up, you know, a bunch of head size boulders and dig a big hole to get it out. But then if you looked at how much time he needs, he spends to get that caloric value of blueberries, it's probably still a good deal to dig up ground squirrels. Oh, you think spends more energy sucking up blueberries. I'm saying it's like just to, you know, watching them eat blueberries as voraciously as they eat blueberries where it almost seems like they're really mad at the blueberries. um, That takes time too, right? Yeah. So if you put put a couple minutes into a ground squirrel, it might be that you're getting more calories than if you put a couple minutes into eating low-quantity blueberries. Mm. So there's that grizzly. Then... Well, then we had a whole other adventure. You know what? Let's go. We'll take it in somewhat chronological order. I'm going to, like, let, let me lay some groundwork. We, we talked about this the other day. We're out hunting. Um, We're in a tent out hunting caribou in what is called the 40-mile herd. So there's a river near here, the 40-mile river. And, and there's a caribou herd here called the 40-mile herd. Now, uh, uh, I'm being highly redundant because we've been discussing this every which way on our hunt. But in Alaska, you have uh, about 35 herds of caribou. Um, A herd is defined down to groupings of caribou that have distinctive calving summering grounds. So these herds might overlap in the winter, but they have distinct calving Summering ground. So there's 35 groupings of caribou of varying numbers. The 40 mile herd is comprised of about 50,000 caribou right now. The number fluctuates wildly. So in the 20s, it was down to 6,500
1: caribou. Or no 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 no. Yeah, that's when it was at its highest. Clarify it, Mark.
4: Well, in the 20s. Because of one of the theories, as you mentioned during our hunt, was that because of domesticated dogs coming in with a lot of the miners and different people homesteading and checking it out, possibly disease was transferred to the wolves. You had such a low predator population that that prey population of the caribou exploded. I can't remember the numbers. Quarter Three, million. Quarter million.
2: Five times as many as today in the 20s. Incredible.
4: And then by the 70s, I believe it was, that number had dropped as low as 6,500.
2: That's right. In 1973, they did a count, and this herd had 6,500 caribou, which is the lowest it's been in known history. Yeah. On the bright side, though, right, it's it's rebounded again. Yeah, and now it's held steady. They just did a new count. Um, the, the figures aren't in yet. And these are pretty accurate counts because they're waiting until the – they wait until the caribou are bunched up in the summer on feeding grounds. And then they they get heavily pe- pressured by mosquitoes. And it forces them to go into these groupings in, like, little ideal habitat places, like on snow fields or windswept ridges where you can get away from the bugs. And it gets them grouped up pretty tight. And so they'll fly surveys at those times. And it's, like, it's not, like, crazy shit, like, when you're trying to count wolves or trying to count grizzlies where you're running, like, models. They're out literally... Photographing and counting caribou. Yeah, it, it was interesting
4: when I was flying in. My pilot was talking about this process. And he said that for a handful of years now, they've been trying to do this, but it takes such a specific set of circumstances to get the caribou to group up to that degree where you can get that done accurately, that for three or four years they've been trying now haven't been able to get it. And then, like you said, just this year, finally, they did have those circumstances. They got the right conditions, so they'll have some new numbers, which is interesting.
2: Yeah, and I think like early, or there's some sort of evidence that suggests that the herd seems to have helped, have stabilized at around 50,000. But see, like, caribou herds are, like, you know, wildly cyclical, and it's not always understood what's causing them to go up and down. It seems like a a, a valve that they can use to... to, to the, the, a valve that can be turned are, are wolves. Yeah. So, they did a mortality study up here. I think it was in 2004, they did a mortality study up here, and at the time, they had they figured at a time they had north of 46,000 caribou and they had some collaring projects going on. They did a mortality study and they figured that in a year, if you have heard of 46, I think it was like an estimate of 46,500 caribou. And in a year they figure 7,000 are killed by wolves, around 4,000 are killed by grizzly bears, around 2,500 are killed by other predators. About a 1,000 die by accidents, drowning and, and rock slides and all kinds of other things. And, and avalanches are a bitch on caribou. And then about, it was, I think they, not about, they know this one exactly. I think it was 800 and some killed by human hunters. Um, and that's a lot of attrition, man. But the herd still grew from there, just from, from you know, just natural birth. So anyhow, that's where we are. Hunting the 40 mile herd. The, the 40 mile herd, it, like in Alaska, they have, we're always talking about different tag types on this show, like different hunting permits where you have, you know, over the counter tags, limited draw tags, um, where you gotta like put your name in a lottery to get awarded a hunting permit, governor's tags where like they go to the highest bidder. Um, which is a very contentious kind of tag. The kind of tag you hunt when you hunt the 40-mile herd is a, is a registration permit. And they, they have a they have a mortality cap. There's a certain number of animals they'll allow to be killed and then they'll end the season. But anyone that comes to hunts needs to register to do the hunt. So we're hunting on registration tags. And um, when this herd, right now they're very far removed from any kind of roads. But now and then this herd will drift over and get onto the highway, near the highway system where people can really get after them, and the hunt can end in days because so many people get after them. But right now, they're very well, they have like a moat of, uh, they're protected by a vast moat of roadless, riverless country. Like you just can't get in, the only way to get in here is an aircraft. And you can't hunt using rotary wing aircraft. You can only hunt out of fixed wing aircraft. So, you can only use fixed wing aircraft to transport for hunting. And so there's very limited places to put a plane down. You know, you can't just go land on a plane like you can in a helicopter. So they're pretty well buffered right now. Um, and we flew in, how
1: long was, it? I think last year, um, for context, I think last year when we were here, we flew out on around the 15th We're oh. back in toke. And the, and the quota was filled.
2: Mm. Was it?
1: Yeah. Oh, I didn't. Or they were that. saying they were saying that there was one or two or three left, but like it was it was nearing the end. The gal that checked me and said that the one that we killed, that I killed, was probably one of the last ones.
3: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I did I didn't even catch that. When did the season start?
2: Sometime in August.
1: Yeah, that we're not one hundred percent sure on. Huh.
2: So, um, yeah, flew in. Uh, using an air carrier, so we we've got our names in. Um, what is it, two thousand and seventeen? Now, we we made a plan, like we made a reservation to fly into this area back in two thousand sixteen. It, it's like uh, you got to be you know early bird gets the worm on booking a on booking a bush pilot if you want a good reputable bush pilot. So we made a reservation a long time ago to get flown in to this area and. Flew in here, landed, can't hunt on the first day. Went and did a little scout about, and shit loads of caribou. Like, we're in, the herd's moving. But How many How many did we see the first day?
3: Hundreds. Over a
2: hundred. First day of hunting or first day of scouting? First day of scouting.
3: Mm.
2: Hundred, give or take, dozens and dozens and dozens. Dozens and dozens and dozens. Um, ran into that grizzly that night. Any time again that night? Nope. No. But we only, like, we're scouting for a couple hours. Cause we yeah, by did the time we got life. our camp set up. Yeah. Well, the whole time we're setting our camp up, there's caribou Seen. rolling yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. Then uh, the first day we wake up, we go and get on a glass and tit, and then it was like, then they were just coming through. That was hundreds. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Easily
0: hundreds, by at least 500.
4: It was. It's kind of interesting, though. when. And we talked about this being maybe like a, a product of our, our Discovery Channel world we live in where we just understand these areas based on a nature documentary. But when I envisioned coming out here and seeing hundreds or thousands of caribou, I imagine this one single large mass like an amoeba of caribou flowing down the hillside. And it's not like that. No. We see hundreds and hundreds of caribou, but it's like a trickle but it's like endless trickle or here's a dozen or there's 20 or there's five but you can look any different direction and here they are there's more there's more that's
1: a really good point probably (laughs) the single biggest group is that we've seen I don't know
4: 30 I bet you like 30, 40 maybe there's been like on top of those flats in a group
2: yeah that's a good point Mark that you bring up Um, is that if you okay imagine that it's like plopped you down here with, with if I just plopped you down and gave you a pair of binoculars and said, describe what you're seeing, you wouldn't say, oh, I'm watching a caribou migration. You would think, I'm seeing a a scattering of caribou everywhere I look. But then a couple hours later, you might be like, and I'm noticing that this scattering of caribou spread out over many miles are sort of, kind of Moving east,
4: sort of, kind of being the key, the key words. <laughs> sort
2: of, kind of moving east, except for when they really are hauling ass east. Yeah, um, and they move not like in like not like in cardinal directions, but they're so, they're just following contours, hitting like going down ridge lines, upstreams, catching little saddles and passes, and I think that the whole moving mass of caribou. So you have fifty thousand caribou on the move, but the front, if you will, like like it's fifty thousand caribou spread over twenty a twenty mile width. Yeah, that's what my
4: pilot had told me.
2: Moving in an easterly direction, and you're somewhere in that twenty miles. And when you're on a good tit, you're looking at let's say three miles, a three mile width or two mile width, and they have this way of like kind of following each other, but it changes not just throughout, it changes day to day and also throughout the day where you'll see a band come through and then a while later a band that isn't related to that band will follow their exact line. And you realize that you're witnessing in like from your glass and tit, you're picking out that there's sort of like today, for instance, we had remember their carrier we were calling Ridge Runner? Yes, mm. I don't know why. <laughs> We call all caribou Fabio because the males are getting their winter pelage and they get a big, long, white, flowing mane. But uh, there's that line, okay, going down the ridge, crossing the river, and then coming up by by Nipple Peak. Mm-hmm. Then there's, like, the line of going up that creek all the way to its head and crossing by gut pile number one. Yes. Then there's a line of coming across the high mesa by the by the by the terraced plateau and then peeling off and going down through the um spruce. Then there's sort of a line that comes off the terraced mesa and just comes right down through Gut pile One.
4: hmm I love the vocabulary we've already developed to describe our entire set. You have to have it, man. Yeah. Huh?
2: There, there's certain themes that come up. Anatomical parts.
4: That's pretty consistent.
2: Every hunting place, that yeah, anatomical parts. Generally female. No, no, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I As the- picture like a scroll mountain, Balik <laughs> <laughs> Bay- Bay- like Peak, me. and just and you know what? There, I kind of resent that because <laughs> when I say nipple butte. Thinking male nipples, yeah, <laughs> what were you thinking? female nipples, me, man. <laughs> just equal because of the size, opportunity, of it. Yeah. nothing, nothing sexual. Yeah. No, you're no, you're yeah, I think that like ships, people tend to name, yeah, there's like a, a Something name that you're endeared to, yeah, yeah, and some, yeah, have, there's and, a
1: lot more uh Maggie's nipples on the
2: maps than there are Fred's nipples, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Now, you know, by our fish shack, um. Ooh, never mind I can say this. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make another
1: point, though, about the migration, too, because sometimes you think, like, man, they are really going every single direction. But like you said, it's, like, 20 miles wide. Maybe it's 40 miles long. Who knows? And within the, just your little, uh, you know, zone that you can see, they could be going north for a little while but be end up still like eventually over the course of three days they've still moved east mm-hmm. yeah. you might have even seen them going west for a little bit through the whole time you saw them they were going west but again over the course of three days they eventually ended up farther east than they were at the beginning of the three days does that make sense no, definitely. Like, a you just like something. you're like these things are going every direction but in the course of three days they were they're like going in the direction they're supposed to be going. Yeah,
2: I think that if you took any caribou and marked them at, at, when we get up on our glass knob, and then you mark that caribou's, any caribou we see, you marked his location, and then remarked it eight hours later, that new mark would be in some way east. Over the course of eight hours, he would have moved eastward by whatever route it, And then they get disturbed, and then they do weird stuff. Then they'll, they'll get disturbed and go back, direction they came from
5: something i gotta i gotta have you clarify because i thought it was really cool on the on the terms of migration is like when mark got his caribou you made the comment that this caribou more than likely had never been in that area before and it were the same like a lot of a lot of the area we're hiking on and hunting on there's a good chance there hasn't been you know, humans. I mean, there, there could be, but yeah, there's like, yeah, there's a
2: lot of little places you could walk. to would be reasonable that like pretty reasonable. that You could be like, oh, I bet you no know guys ever stepped yeah. right here before. It's but not, you, that's not unreasonable.
5: Yeah. And on the same note though, how that all these caribou, they're not like, this is not their area. They're just passing through. So it's yeah. like you're, they're seeing the country for the first time to some extent. And you're seeing them in that, that space for the first time. Which
0: is crazy that they're just passing through, but they still have all these trails just Mm beaten down
2: into the mountain. When you're flying over, you can't believe the trails. Like Mm -hmm. thousands of years of caribou walking the same path. And it's like, you know, it's pretty fragile ground. Everything is extremely slow going. So you can have, you know, it's probably possible that you can have a 100 caribou come stamping down something and then a year later see... I mean, it's a it's a fragile landscape, yeah. man. Yeah. A year later, it would be that that vegetation hasn't recuperated. Yeah. Now you do that down in southeast, and the the it rainforest right just back. eats it back up. Yeah. But here, it's like if you you know you walking on mosses and lichens, and they just cut trails everywhere. And yeah, it's not like a a trail that's being used every day. But yeah, yeah. To to the to to dirt's point, which is a point I was making, is that an interesting thing about caribou? and Some caribou migrate a thousand miles. You know, um. These ones don't. They don't migrate nearly that far. But it's reasonable that, not just reasonable, probable, that when you're watching caribou, you're very likely seeing them pass through a place for the first time in their life. Yeah. Especially if it's not like a particularly old animal. Because they take these routes, these routes vary. like, Like, for instance, a couple of years ago, this much of this herd and again you can't always say like the herd because then some will peel off and do their own thing and not stay with the main grouping but a couple of years ago this group wound up going into yukon territory and wintering in yukon territory and then that hasn't happened again in a few years so they don't have you hear like the term fidelity with wildlife they don't have fidelity to specific zones yeah Um, they have like some places they go habitually but they take different routes going through there and then again it's only like in a general sense where they're going to show up. So like if you get used to you know a whitetail deer who lives his whole life within what?
3: mile radius. Small area. A mile? Yeah.
2: I mean they can
4: expand beyond that for a day or two or weeks here and there you know during the rut but a core a core range could be 40 acres and then a little larger maybe 300, 400 acres, they spend
2: another 50% of their time, but tight. Yeah. Long story short, it's tight. So I already said, I don't want to talk about who's here real quick. Um, As Mark Canyon from, do you mainly, like, like your main gig is Wired to Hunt. You're yeah. like the Wired to Hunt guy. I'm the Wired to Hunt
4: guy. That is what keeps the mortgage paid.
2: So uh, Mark hosts a, 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 a podcast called, podcast called Wired to Hunt and, and focuses on, um, a lot of his love and attention on, on America's deer. And that's the truth. <laughs> on white tail deer. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, as though dealing poker.
1: But hold on, but you have a website too, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So it started out just as a
4: website. Wired to Hunt was a website. And then expanded to a podcast.
1: And the website was just like tips, tricks, how-to's? Yeah,
4: it, it, it starts a blog, so it was how-to's and then my own experiences and stories and news and conservation and all that kind of stuff related to the white tail. YouTube, the whole nine yards.
2: Why the name Wired to Hunt? You're playing on two things there, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. So the long, the the short story would be I was working an internship in New York City, and uh, my job was basically to work with bloggers and the digital media to help promote products. And so I read all sorts of stuff related to that, Wired magazine being one of them. And also, so that just would always bring to my mind different things related to technology and everything like that. And I wanted to create a deer hunting website, but for the next generation, that was tech-savvy, and also the audience would be tech-savvy, but then also the way I would communicate things related to deer hunting would be in a, a different way. So that's where Wired Hunt came. So the, the, the tech side, but then also I'm just wired different, right? Those people that absolutely love to hunt, you're wired to hunt. It's in your blood. It's just part of you. So, yes, double meaning, worked out kind of nicely,
2: and then stuck. And then... um. The eagles here. Howdy. And then uh, Mr. Doug Darren. Hello. Got anything else you want to add, Doug?
3: I would say, um, <clears throat> we were talking about this caribou behavior. I was surprised at how, uh, I mean, I expected to see groups moving together, them moving generally in a direction, but I was surprised at how many individuals I saw doing their own thing. Yeah. Just sort of meandering their way seemingly with total disregard with for, for what everyone else was doing. Generally youngsters and cows. Yeah. Yeah. The occasional bull, but
2: if you notice the biggest, the big bulls, like the I mean the it's a percent a percent of what you're looking at are big bulls. The big bulls are, are two things. With a bunch of other big bulls, with cows. I, I got a question. Following cows. Is it
4: similar to, again, going back to my bread and butter whitetails. So tails have bachelor groups in the summer. All these guys are all together. But as that testosterone rises towards the rut, eventually those groups break up. And then you see them much more in much more solitary fashion. Will that happen with the caribou? Are they're in those sort of those bachelor groups now? But as they head into later in September and October, are they going
2: to break up? Man, that's that's a great question. I'm sure there's people that could answer it really well. But I, a couple thoughts on it. One, I don't know if there's, I don't know if those groupings you're seeing when you when you're seeing it like it seems like when you get into the really big bulls, so like the big. Dominant bulls tend to be in packs of three, four, or five that seem to be affiliated with a group of cows. I don't know if those groups of bulls are just changing all the time. You know, like I don't know that those yeah. bulls are... Because there's you're talking about so many animals moving all the yeah. time. I, I kind of picture it. At least picture it being that those, that those groupings are fluid in nature. And that if you went a month ago... The, 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 I'd be a little bit surprised that the groupings were the same a month ago, but I don't really know. I'm sure there's people that could know and I'm sure they'll get hold of us and tell us where I'm wrong. The other thing is, I always thought that down the road you would have them become more aggressive. I remember hunting in early October and still seeing bulls traveling in big groups. So I don't know when it is. I don't know if the relationship is quite like elk where they turn into, or deer or so many other things where other cervids, where there's that same level of hostility from one bull to the next. You do see these bulls fight. Yeah. You know, you see them fight and spar. But I don't know if they get as intolerant of other males being really close to them as some other animals get intolerant of other males being close to them. I think so. The only thing I read about the rut as we were getting ready for this trip
1: was that unlike elk that keep a harem, or try to protect a harem once it gets going. These bulls don't protect a harem. They protect a zone. They protect mm. a chunk of land. I saw that too. Oh. And so any other bull that tries to come into his zone gets run out. And the cows that come into his zone must get bred. But he lets them go. He doesn't, like, keep a harem. But,
2: yeah. We're going to get, we're gonna have to get some kind of caribou expert on because what's, tr- what's hard for me there is that would mean that all the movement ceases. Unless he's got a traveling zone. Could be. He's got like a they a, sort of just keep of, their they just keep their space. He's you got know? a bubble that moves yeah, a bubble of influence that he carries <laughs> with him through all these passes and valleys. Man, between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it's never ending. I'm talking about the, the, the subscriptions, the monthly dings on your credit card. Well, thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app. It goes in and finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. Meaning, you know, like, let's say there's like a show that comes out and you want to watch it and you wind up doing like this free trial and you forget about it. And then two years later, you realize you're paying those hosers. 12 bucks a month for something you don't use. It finds that stuff, cancels it. It helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings instead. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Again, rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit. All right. It comes with doctor prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, On hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at TWC.com health slash meat eater but you got to use the promo code meat eater that's promo code meat eater okay at twc.health slash meat eater and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. What I do know is this. <laughs> First, so, got here, had a little... And that grizzly, like, a lot of grizzlies. Like, you know you kind of get as close as as, you get as close as is responsible because you like to observe them and then he's very close to camp so then we're kind of thinking at the end of observing him i'm like it'd be a good idea to have him move along his way and not be hanging out here so we're gonna try to spook him off a little bit let him know we're here so he doesn't just then turn around and feed right back up into camp and potentially get himself into a whole bunch of trouble and stand up and start getting the old hay and like a lot of grizzlies that entices that at first just means that it gets his attention. And he starts coming towards you happens all the time. And then you get up and raise holy hell and you can usually move him along. Um, that happened. Woke up in the morning, went up to a knob and then you start trying to put together like, well, what is a big bull? And that just comes from watching you know like factoring like trying to like to see what's possible out there right i mean you get in the opportunities you have are so many because you're seeing so many of them go through and after you watch like a hundred of them and and a bunch of bulls you start going like so that's what a large one looks like you Mm. need that reference point and then you establish your reference
0: point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're weeding the exceptional out of the average. Yeah.
2: It's funny though,
4: right when we landed, me and Doug came in first and we got dropped off before anybody else. And me and Doug were just gushing because, like, oh my gosh, that was the hugest bull. It was monstrous. And now as I look back on it, after we've seen hundreds of bulls, was it really that big? Or I think were, It was just because it was because the first one we saw and we yeah. had nothing to compare it against? And, um, I think we're, we, we exaggerated Did you get a, a picture of that bull? I don't think, well, no, I don't think
3: so. Because it'd be interesting to look at it. Cause, and and like all the other bulls, you see a whole bunch, I mean, I don't know, what do we see, 100 cows and calves to every bull that you see? Yeah. So wow. here's, you know, whatever number that happened, but it's, it's definitely more cows and calves and, and, and young bulls and stuff until you see bigger bulls. And like with that group when we first flew in, there were all these other caribou, yeah. and then he was there. And he was significantly bigger than the rest of them, mm-hmm. and so of course that's your reaction or our reaction, and uh, and it was I, I would say it's a was a white tail hunter's reaction.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of those.
2: <laughs>
3: yes, we sure <laughs> have. Yeah. When when
2: looking at like the place I used to do that I've done, maybe most of my yeah probably most of my caribou hunting I think has been on the North Slope of the Brooks Range in areas where you're not really able to get in on i mean it's possible that it could happen but generally you're not able to get in on these big gr- these big you know migration paths of caribou. You're, you're you're looking at caribou in summering ground dispersed over a vast vast area and yeah it would be like to go up there on the north slope on a road system hunt it would be laughable that you would be able to sit around and cherry-pick bulls like we're cherry-picking bulls. There, it'd be like, if you see a bull, you you better just get your shit together and go. Because be, count yourself lucky. You know? But here, is, you just get... I mean, it's not even... It's like hunting, but it's like a little different than hunting.
5: But hunt for that one you want. The big player is still hunting. <sighs> yeah, but it's, it, it is, but it's... It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. Oh, yeah, it's different
2: sure. than most hunting.
5: But the excitement will be equivalent when you see the one that is stands out. That thrill will be there. You won't be like, "Ah, it's another, you know, another bull." It's going to be like, "Oh, that's the one."
2: Yeah, but you know what's missing? What's missing is the idea of, and it happens to antelope hunting too. What's missing is the idea that you won't get one. The fear of not, not the fear mm-hmm. of, but like it, a lot of times in hunting, you're like, "It's like, will I get one?" Yeah. Okay, and that's the thing. Yeah.
5: But you said it can shut off. Like there is a slight chance. Yeah. And not probable. That they just are gone. But tomorrow it, happened so, like, it was last year. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But as much as hunting, it's about putting yourself in the middle of this spectacle. Yeah. You it's, know. Yeah. The, the hunting's almost secondary to it. the hunting is
2: secondary to the experience yeah. of being there. The experience of like being and seeing like it might sound hokey, but it's true in this case. I think that's the perfect word. Yeah, no, it is. It's like you're witnessing a mass migration of large mammals. You'd never understand it unless you came here and saw it. You just you just wouldn't. No. So there's that with some hunting mixed in, but it's like it's just not like hunting. I've even like you know people spend a lot of time, myself included talking about fair chase issues and you kind of get into like like caribou hunting in a situation in a situation like this which which for me will be a once in- a lifetime situation I've seen it I've I hunt a tremendous amount I'm in my early 40s I've seen this twice so you, you you get into a situation where it's like uh you know all of a sudden we talk about fair chase and all that I don't know I don't know if if this like <laughs> is this fair ch- I don't know To go at to go get any individual one, to go get any individual one is like feels to me like it has the level of uncertainty that one would expect from a a, from what people like to describe as a fair chase hunt. But when taken in the whole population and the ability to get a animal seems like a pretty foregone conclusion. The minute you hit the ground.
5: Well, that's a good example, though. What I what I'm talking about is like the one that we saw that you and Doug went after and it just didn't work that's out. That's funny
2: part. I wanted to get, yeah, that's a great point.
5: And it's like, I wanted you're to still get to that. chasing that.
2: We're watching all these ones. The minute we pick one out and go, that's the one. Yeah. bitch gives us a slip. <laughs>
5: <laughs> can't find them. And that's your, that's your like bar of scale from there, there on out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly, I mean, you, you got to climb mountains. You got to run after them. You might get fogged out. Like there's, Fair chases. Oh, there's yeah. elements of it all. That.
2: One, just trying to like be out in a place that's very inhospitable. And then a lot of people aren't comfortable dealing with grizzlies, which is a daily occurrence. Yeah. Wind. A daily occurrence. 70-mile-an-hour <laughs> yeah. sleeping in a tent <laughs> and 70-mile-an-hour gusts. The potential of getting annihilated by biting insects. So, yeah, I mean, there are, like, tons of things that make it, but I'm just talking about that, like, distinct you know, when it, when it's the kind of hunt that the minute you get out of your tent, you could start shooting caribou yeah. <laughs> and then it could shoot them until the sun goes down. Yeah. It's just, it's different. That's all yeah. I'm pointing out. I'm not saying it's less. I love it, but it's just different.
3: Yeah. And I will mm-hmm. say that it is certainly not less. It, the, the difficulty of the hunt for someone um, like me, who's, you know, I'm, I'm a white Midwest whitetail hunter. Um, and yeah, I got ready a for white this. white
4: Midwest whitetail <laughs> Yeah, that was an interesting uh, <laughs> note
2: you put in there.
3: This how I, a white Midwest whitetail hunter. Oh, well, oh, sorry. <laughs> he is white, We've got this talking juice here in front of me. Oh, it
2: tastes awful, too. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Doug, I just struck, uh, yeah. The, yeah, uh,
3: but no, I, no, I, thanks for the correction. Uh, the, well, you are. I am a white <laughs> Midwest <laughs> whitetail hunter. <laughs> I, I sweetly am. So uh, there are so many part. There, I've never done anything like this. Uh, I know you guys do way more difficult hunts than this, but this is the most difficult hunt that I've ever done. Is that right? And it is the most interesting hunt that I've ever done. But when it came down to the moments. The decision that we went after the first one.
2: Yeah, talk about that because I want. Uh, I'm and sticking to my chronology. Talk about there. talk about that we finally find one, and then you can't. Then you turn out that you can't get them.
3: And, uh, and that and that caribou was exceptional. Based on what I had seen in the first four hours of hunting, but it wasn't even—he was just exceptional to everything that we had seen up to that point. And so I'm at that point. I'm like, okay, now I understand. And away we go, and into thin air, gone. Except for these guys said, "Oh no, you guys went down there, and they were already around you, and and." Uh. Yeah, because you're trying to.
2: Yeah, you're trying to head. I mean, every time we've gone after caribou, you, you try, you're trying you're trying to one, you spot them way off. You try to get a, you try to figure out their trajectory, which is somewhat predictable because you look at whoever was out at whatever group came before them, and then you got to make up your mind and then just haul ass and try to get there before they do. And
3: and I would say And we
2: missed them by way, yeah.
3: And I would say about that when you said before that, and you could shoot, you could get out of your tent and start shooting caribou and shoot caribou all day long. Yeah, but that, of course, we could. And that's just such an unusual thing to be around. But then to go out there and pick that, and then we began to hunt because you are—I mean, you're spotting and then you're hunting and you're going, you're anticipating where they're going, you're trying to get there, and every bit of that was a part of. A spot and stock, as far as I was concerned. And, you know, we were disappointed and, uh, we didn't, didn't find that animal. And we took kind of a loop and we're coming back and here come, a, here come a bunch of, uh, uh, younger caribou. And amongst them were a couple of bulls and one was a really nice bull. And he closed within 75 or 80 yards of us. And they're some of them run, run away, some of them run in a circle away from you, and then they come back because they're sort of curious about you or they don't understand what you are, but they're definitely alerted to you. And uh, yeah, Most of them have no human experience.
2: They j- it just doesn't click. They don't
3: see you and go like, oh, shit, run, run, run. And so this, which was an extremely suitable bull, um, came within 75 yards of us and gave us a show of... Uh ness fabio Of defiance Of interest Spectacularness of, I am I, it, The animal was spectacular And I never Picked my rifle up I was so caught up In the, the whole thing And I asked you A couple times What do you think And you said That's a heck of a may have said that's a hell of a uh, that's a dandy that's
2: gurn of a
3: <laughs> I mean you said several times and you know you can shoot that one and I i or yeah I, I totally understand if you did and I, I just I
2: pointed out too that it wasn't the one we were looking that's at that's the other
3: part of it I had that exceptional one to to compare it to and I just got um, completely caught up in the moment of watching all that happening and if <laughs> And I realize now or I realize in retrospect that I knew that it could happen again. I knew that it would happen again. I would have been surprised after that it would happen again. So I enjoyed that and I didn't regret not shooting that caribou.
2: Yeah. I think it was part of it was that he just wasn't the one we went after. And then it felt like um like an unearned thing. I don't know what it was. I couldn't, I, I couldn't put my finger on it at the time, and I can't
3: put my finger on it now. It was, I, I, that was my first encounter like that. And it was just, that was enough. And he wasn't, and you said to me a couple times with that look, that's, he's, he's not like the one that we were, we went after that's not the one we went after
0: and when you're seeing so many of them you kind of want it to be the one you're going after yeah Mm -hmm. yeah not just rather than one that just boom shows up yeah you
2: know but that's see that's where it is like that's the thing that always trips me up is how much sort of mental masturbation is going (laughs) on. (laughs) i think there's a lot (laughs) a lot of mental masturbation it's very difficult to explain that i would have a very difficult time like if, if i went home and I was like, oh, man, you know, hundreds of them coming by. My wife said, well, why why, why wouldn't you just be done right away then? <laughs> I'd have to be like, Whoa, well, you know, and they it was starting to, to someone else, like an <laughs> outside perspective. You'd never really get to where they were satisfied. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, you could shoot one opening morning and still enjoy the spectacle for three days.
2: You never got introduced, bro. We quit the introductions
0: yeah well, brody, Hatter, up, brody
2: henderson happy to be here with- witnessing the spectacle hmm does a little guy, fishing guiding and then works with us guiding season's all done yeah, yep,
0: thank God <laughs>
2: <laughs> um yeah, witnessing the spectacle. So me and Dog got duped, then we go back up to the glass and tit, and lo and behold, here comes some legit, full-on balls-out migrators, right, Mark? Yeah. Talk about that.
4: Yeah, so you guys got back up there, we sit down, we eat some sammies, kind of relax a little bit, continue. I was not relaxing. Well.
2: I was glassing.
4: (laughs) Getting to that, we were glassing as we sat, and we were looking across that whole bowl where the terraces were and the tops and everything, and. I just remember looking across there just to the right and below the terrace and just spotting these white, these Fabios and being like, I think those are new bulls. And we, we pulled up the glass on them and yeah, five new bulls and then a big old stream of other cows and calves above them. And then unique to a lot of the other ones we saw, which were more of the meandering type, these guys were on a mission. And so... If I remember right, we we looked them over pretty good. Didn't take too long to realize there was there was one or two in there that were worth our attention. So they kept piling down that hill, and then you're like, "Hey, we should make a move on them." So we grabbed our gear and took off down the hill. They disappeared behind this one knob, knob number one, right. And all I remember is we go scooting down to this little. Ridge, this little rise. And then I just remember when the whole herd peeked over that first knob. And I just felt like I was watching, like, I don't know, something in like the African Serengeti. Mm. Like, just this massive, this was like a miniature version of what I imagined it would be, like this mass of, like, flowing animals down the hillside.
2: Many tons worth of animals. Yeah. Yeah, many tons worth of animals coming down the mass. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. Led off by these big old white manned
2: bulls yeah they were out front they were that bull um was is either out of all the 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 hundreds of caribou we've seen in two and a half days of observation he's either number one or number two in which respect biggest ones we've looked at
4: yeah so here's my question he
2: might be number two Number one being the first, I think big the one, we one saw. that gave us the slip. I, I don't know. I wish. That's I some, how it happens, though. It looked like, yeah, he would. Yeah, he would.
1: I'd put a hundred dollar bet on the fact that the one that gave us the slip was bigger.
3: Yeah. He had everything, as it should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He Lives on. He lives on.
2: But yeah, but the Serengeti's coming your the way.
4: Serengeti's coming our way. and man like it was just for me it was the weirdest experience maybe i've ever had hunting like it was just this like moment of there's so many different things going on right i mean it was so different than any other hunt i've ever been on and just the whole spectacle of it not only the the wilderness spectacle but also then our whole deal all these different people you know there's four or five of us sneaking down there um we got laid down we saw they're angling our way we had a good spot to set up and uh laid down put the rifle on the backpack you were so kind to share your rain jacket with me for a little bit Balled bigger with my bump there all nice and yeah and then they just came angling down our way and i was like holy shit this is actually going to happen
2: and it's funny yeah at some point you go like oh they are going to come through here and not veer off in some crazy ass direction yeah. yeah and like it wasn't though like
4: i feel like in most other hunts you get to like mentally process what's happening and, like, all right, yeah, like, this is the animal I'm going to shoot and kill, or this is happening, or yeah, I want this to happen. It was like I'd gotten on a roller coaster at the top of that hill, and then I was just tearing down it all the way through this moment. And um, going into this whole thing, I was like, I really hope I don't shoot one on the first day. <laughs> I really want this to be like a long experience and to feel all the way, but this was just like I was tearing down that hill on the roller coaster, and it was happening. I was like, whoa. And so he comes up and he's angling, and we're ranging him, and he's like, you know, 275, 250, 245. I just remember like 235, somewhere around this is the last range I got. And, and then, like you said, blow or blouch or whatever it is wow. you like to say. It's
2: blouch.
4: <laughs> but yeah, it was funny because there was him and another couple, and they were kind of stacked coming in and out, and they were just moving. They were on the move. Yeah. So I tried to find a moment when the other ones weren't behind him and let him have it, and fortunately was able
2: to get the job done. But see, here's the thing about the. See, you kind of bummed me out now about the first day thing. You don't know what's like. I've seen plenty of times, and all of a sudden, just what is it right now outside?
4: Oh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, Comisca, I'm not disappointed anyway. I couldn't
2: see 50 yards because yeah. of the fog. It's like there are so many things that screw you. Oh, yeah. It's just like it's, like, it's clear. That's a big bull.
4: Oh, I'm glad we did what we did. I'm glad it happened, absolutely. It might
2: be that you wake up tomorrow, and it's fog, and then it's fog, and then it's fog the next day, and nothing ever happens. It's like you have to just pick your moments. Yeah, But
1: in that scenario, when you've been for whatever, at that point we've been out in the field for six, eight hours, well, maybe 12, counting the day before, and you're just like, oh, that's the 150th bull I've seen. Like, you know. You're feeling pretty cocky about it. Yeah. It was wild.
4: Yeah. But I, I don't even know if I was in like, I feel like, because Doug went on that stalk. And so this whole time I was like, Doug was hunter. I was in observation mode. And then like that switch flipped all of a sudden, bam, you're in hunter mode. And it was that transition. All of a sudden, like my mind was readjusting to my new reality. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it, it was a super crazy, interesting, unique, once in a lifetime experience, the whole thing. And, um, and then walking up on that animal. Was pretty like it was all like starting coming so real, like that is an incredible animal. Just just it was all so different, wild.
3: Yeah, and for me too, from sitting the distance that I was watching this unfold, and I've seen other people shoot whitetails from a distance, but it wasn't any it, 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 just completely unique experience watching this happen unfold in front of me, and I thought it was a completely different uh, distance. Yeah. It seemed like they were closing, closing, closing. Boy, he's going to let them get really close. And then we got down there and went, holy man, he shot this thing at 235 mm-hmm. yards.
2: Yeah, in these areas, uh, distance becomes very difficult. Perspective and scale man. is just... Things are farther away than you think they are. They're closer than you think they are. Yeah. You start walking towards something that seems a million miles away, and in fact, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah, this. Um. Then we butchered it out, and, and just as we're leave, like, we wanted to hunt some more. We wanted to go back up to our glass and tit, and butchered it out, and I was, because of grizzlies, I was like, let's move um, the meat away from the guts, because when a bear comes in, they just go and eat the, anything's going to come and just eat the soft tissue first, because you can just gulp it down, because they don't know. As far as they know, a bigger bear is going to come and steal the whole damn thing from them, so... When they swoop in, they just want to like you know, you get what you can get and then work on the other stuff later. A couple of years ago, my brother lost the elk to a, a grizzly, and he had had all four legs on the bone and boned out everything else. and It ate all the boneless meat and buried the bone in meat, wow. so they hmm. do know like what they can gobble up quick and what takes time and and and, and, and like think about that. So we move. The meat, I don't know, not even 175 yards away. Yeah, not not all. Just that to far. give a little buffer, and we knew we were going to be sitting there staring right at it. And we get back up to the tit, and here, <laughs> here comes the grizz. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> yeah, like, didn't take time too Time to long. let the grizz out. Hauling, <laughs> and we watched that thing cover two miles. You think it was that Wait. far? Oh yeah, I think it's from the plate. Wow. What you say, Yanni? From where it popped up to where it ended up. It was a long ways. Running at it, a yeah. run. And I'm like, the wind wasn't right. But I'm watching this thing, I'm like, after a while, me and Dirt almost made a bad. <laughs> I couldn't have I'm like, it's, un- it's undeniable that this bear is, is jogging with its nose in the air, is jogging over an incredible distance toward this gut pile. But the wind was wrong, so I'm like, how would it be aware of it when the wind is what it's doing? And then it turns out that just for some inexplicable reason, it was running all the way toward us because it finally gets within like easy striking distance of that gut pile stops dead ass cold and spends the next hour eating blueberries <laughs> well it stopped
0: cold just slightly it, upwind of it like it was in kind of some rocky sparse vegetation There's as soon meat, as it hit that that berry that buffer lush stuff bam yeah
2: because she was traveling across just open you know just rock and moss really and then yeah, and I think she had her nose near, like she, she might smell I don't know if they got an ability to smell good concentrations of blueberries. But she was just traveling through the shitty ground, that little cub bouncing along behind her. He stopped <laughs> and with the caribou antler. For yeah. a while.
4: At one point he like barrel rolled down the hillside yeah, for did a while. Some somersaults fought a cool.
2: caribou antler. <laughs> and she winds up getting down into the blueberries and just sets to eating and then kind of paralleled us. When we got our meat and headed back, kind of paralleled us the whole way. And then we're staying in our camp this morning.
5: Never got nice to the carcass. Right. And see how I brought within. that shit full circle. Nice,
4: <laughs> Garrett. Poor Garrett though. This morning, so I opened that tent door and holy crap! There's a mama and cub, and I didn't hear you. Right, I, I see it hop out of my tent, and start yelling,
2: and then and it, it starts woke to me up. Kind, of, I was like kind of half awake. I think you know what he was How you kind of got to take a whiz, uh-huh. but you kind of. Um, All of a sudden, you're like, grizzling camp.
3: I get your attention really quick.
4: (laughs) And then, so I yell, and then she kind of speeds up a little bit and goes over the hill, and I'm like, all right, we're all good. My tent's on the other side of the hill. (laughs) I hear Garrett start yelling. I'm like, oh, shit, he's right there.
5: But Garrett was just calmly out there waving his arm. I was brushing my teeth. I was like, well, if the yelling doesn't do it. How tall was she? Throw this
1: toothbrush at (laughs) her.
5: Thirty yards. (laughs) Thirty yards. And she stood up when I first, when we first, like she saw me, stood up all the way. I was not aggressively, but I think like trying to figure out what was going on. And then uh, Giannis and Chris in the tent that she had passed, you know, very recently prior, started yelling. She kind of took off, but there was a moment there where I was like, well. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you just
2: don't know what the well, response yeah. is going to be,
5: and you can't. I mean, I knew like if if she was threatened, <laughs> I didn't have anything that was going to prevent her. From
2: I don't doing think... what she wanted to do with me. Some years ago, we had a grizzly coming toward our camp, and Yanni was there. We were shooting rocks in front of it, like full on shooting rock, trying to stop it. We tried a lot of stuff before that, but then eventually we we're resorting to like shoot. And it still keeps coming. You still know what their attitude is yeah. going to be like, man.
5: Yeah, and, like, the fact that, you know, who knows, if with the cub, I always, yeah, just even it's... extra cautious, or, you know, literally that they're going to be more aggressive. I feel yeah. like you were lucky in that yeah. scenario. Yeah.
4: Like, I mean, that's as, as bad of a situation as you want to get into, is yeah. surprising a mom with the cub.
5: Yeah. And she didn't see, you know, she didn't see me when she first came right. over. But...
2: I, I would have loved if you got a little bit of a scuffle with that Well, me too. <laughs> if
4: I got a scar out of it and that's all, I mm. would love that. Yeah. I've always thought that would be good. Yeah. To come <laughs> in I'm this.
2: knocking on wood, though, because I Just a little it. scratch. I yeah. would to come
3: in there swinging <laughs> on your behalf there. <laughs> But that's the most casual reaction to a grizzly bear ever. I, I, well, we'll see what happens.
5: <laughs> no bullshit in this one. <laughs> yeah, that was Amazing.
2: Yeah, they're they're a great animal, man. I mean, they really get your attention. Yeah, you know, I used to be kind of I used to be more afraid of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to be more afraid of, them, but now, like, I still have a lot of respect for them. But I also kind of like when I see them, I'm always kind of rooting that they'll come yeah. closer, but not too close. That you know? interaction, I, I like having them near me. I, I I would put
4: our observations and encounters with grizzly bears in this trip. As just as enjoyable for me as the spectacle of seeing all the caribou and even killing a caribou. Like, I enjoyed our grizzly encounters just as much. Agreed. Like, when I go back, that's going to be something that I'll remember forever. Just
3: that yeah. male's face when he stood up or came up where we could see him, that's burned into my memory. They're just
2: the coolest critters.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and out here, man, just like the room they have
2: to to Rome, yeah. you know
5: yeah and the fact that those two points intersect like us and them yeah. and right such a vast landscape you just realize how special that is you can just watch them mm-hmm. not be you know in a survival mode right
2: and they can you know they can get pretty old but you still get the sense that um when you're out here and looking at it you still get the sense that like this is probably or. You know, it would stand to reason that it hit, this is his first encounter. This is a, his first reckoning with a person.
0: Yeah, it's a way different kind of grizzly than you'd see in Montana or Idaho. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a different version of...
2: Yeah, who's had experiences yeah. and kind of knows what to think about stuff.
4: And I've said this over the course of the past couple of days a few times as we've talked about some things related to this, but it's just like... It's good for my soul to know that there are still places that that can happen. Like to know that that could be real. That, that grizzly has not encountered a person before. Like that's just like a a satisfying notion. Oh, for sure, man.
2: I I'm think so about that all the time. Very
4: glad to know that's the case.
2: Possible. But there's a thing that happens to people where uh, there's a thing that has people where they, they tend to. I think that people tend to view like, oh, a place like Alaska. Well that's a suitable place for wilderness but then not think about not think about like equivalence at home
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know and don't and, and don't strive toward um don't strive toward thinking about the possibility of 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 things being more pristine more pure more wild closer to home we have this thing like you relegated to this other locale cuz you come up here and like what's up here just isn't What's here isn't replicable anymore down there. You know, a, a good way to put it is I was talking to my brother. I, I think I might have talked about this before, but one of my brothers, um, you know, he's a, he's a fisheries ecologist and does a lot of work in Alaska. And, and we were talking about conservation. And he was saying that um, that the difference between his line of work done here and his line of work done in the lower 48 is they're not here, they're not in rebuild mode. They're trying to understand something, they're, they're in a position of trying to understand something that exists and head off trouble down the future. But you're not rebuilding anything in the lower 48. Conservation is rebuilding, it's repair. And up here, in a lot of places, there's not like there's. It's not repair; it's holding the line. You know, and those are like two very different views on. are two, two like very different ways to comprehend mm-hmm. wildlife and wildlife conservation.
4: Equally important, I guess. They're right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Situation.
2: But yeah, you're you're approaching it from a position of you can kind of, and, and this is the broad generalization but you kind of approach it to be like yeah you're not yeah you're, you're looking to head off problems rather than fix them and down yeah. there we're, we're fixing things yeah, you know trying to get things back or you know in many ways very successfully right very yeah. very successfully but trying to like somehow set a clock back in some yeah. way
4: fix the mistakes of 150 200 years
0: ago
2: yeah and then things were later here where people were a lot more like once there started to be such a big human footprint here and it's gonna grow, but um people you know some of those some of those some of those moments when we were most rampant in our destruction, there wasn't also a very loud, enlightened voice. And I think that right now, as you know, as you comp you know, as people comprehend more development in Alaska, more industry in Alaska there's like, like a pretty loud, enlightened voice that has taken a lot of lessons that were learned in other parts of the country and using them to like avoid mistakes that we've made now. Just understanding yeah. the, the the interconnectedness of things and realizing that the things that you do have, there's implications to yeah. the actions you take. It's
4: interesting, though, the, the same pressures are still there from the other side, too, you know?
2: Oh, oh absolutely, man. Yeah.
4: I mean, we're, we're, I don't know who said this stuff, but history might not always repeat itself but it usually rhymes.
2: <laughs> and I feel like <laughs> we, we see that kind of thing happening. I, no, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So today we had that grizzly, went out hunting, and um, you realize that it like, kind of like plays out in the same way. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get fifteen percent off at twc.health/meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at TWC.health slash meat eater. and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Watched and watched and watched. Watched and watched and watched. Finally, some big bulls came rolling through. And then... And Doug leapt into action, sprang it, into action.
4: It might be worth noting his close call earlier where he really wanted that one bull, Doug, I just right? like
3: that whole scene <laughs> there. We're on that side hill. He's coming up the hill. I'm looking at him. That's a nice bull. <laughs> I've been walking. I've been walking. Fifteen minutes. i like where he's headed. <laughs> he's
0: headed it up comes, the hill. It'd be a downhill hike. Well, Stephen to already told you that morning he was thinking about going on quote a mega hike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Doug didn't like the sound of
2: that.
3: Yeah,
2: I was, well, I <clears throat> I didn't want to talk you out of that bulldog, but I was trying to like buy buy. Not paying it a whole lot of attention attention, and scanning the distant horizon I was trying to convey to you that I felt that we hadn't yet arrived.
4: Steve went and sat like 30 yards away. He just,
3: just, and, <laughs> and kept looking at the, at the something three miles away but on Doug the other side. But Doug keeps nudging up, me. Talking he's talking about at this these one. bulls yeah. you <laughs> can't see over there. Yeah,
2: I'm gonna, I was like acting like that bull wasn't. I mean, no disrespect to that bull. I was trying to pretend that he wasn't there in an effort to influence your thinking.
4: And then it was funny. Doug looks at me. He's like, hey, uh, I'm going to go over to Steve and, and tell him that I think that I, you know, maybe i want to take this bull it's a good situation and if steve wants to go over there he can he can just go and i'll hang out here and watch see what this one does so doug goes walking over there sits next to steve and he says it and you're just kind of like well look at these over here
3: (laughs) but he also said i appreciate that you're willing to let me walk over there and you'll stay here (laughs) and i don't want I, i mean let's you know let's face it i'm the old guy of the group and i'm uh i'd like to say that i'm like the old the old bull i'm the last one always um you know hanging back <laughs> i'm not hanging back I'm just slow that's the long and the short of it and i don't want to influ- i don't want that to necessarily influences uh someone else not doing what they want to do and uh and I would have been perfectly content to wa- to sit there and watch that bull and not necessarily shoot him but to watch you go all the way around there thinking. It's like it would be the world's biggest mooch for you to go all the way around there and and uh, maybe they'd bump and come that way. <laughs> but I, <laughs> <go my> way. <laughs> but I also appreciate the fact that one you appreciate said I appreciate the, that and if that time comes I'll I'll let you know. But um, I don't think you want to shoot that bull. And I was pretty sure I wanted to shoot that bull, <laughs> but, uh, but you just never know what's coming over well, that distant. That's right. Ridge line, you know, but if we go over here, and so we did, and, and you know, and, and it turned out to be a fantastic, uh, fantastic afternoon.
1: That was. Crazy. I think it's something we should cover because there's this weird conundrum. We keep saying like, "Oh, it's a nice bull. That's a nicer bull. Like they're all nice. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're oh, all nice. Yeah, of
2: course. I feel like yeah." Well, I think you said
1: it it pretty good when you said we just hadn't arrived yet. We just needed to walk a little bit more, look around a little bit longer. Much
3: like I didn't shoot that one after we went and saw that really big one. Right. and, And it wasn't, I mean, everything that went through my mind when I saw that, that other one came and was near us that I just, I just wasn't, it just wasn't right. And I don't know how else to describe it. And and so that's why I didn't and, and uh my wonderful friend here, you know, said let's 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 go over here. And uh, so we did. I know I know what you're getting at, Yanni. we like, have this
1: weird luxury to like play this game that you're talking yes. about, this mental masturbation. We're like yeah. if we were really hungry, we wouldn't be doing any of this bullshit. Well, I know here's the thing like we'd be in, bang, 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 and be done.
2: But that's, that, that's, that's what I'm getting at about the mental masturbation game. Is, like, you, I mean, you know me well. I like meat and antlers. Meat more than antlers. But in this case, you get to have both. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I read a quote the other day. Um, but you also
1: like to have the mountain I between and meat. And, both and I really like the taste meat. six
2: points. <laughs> 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 but, but I do I don't feel like. I just, I just read a quote guys. I, I really, you know, I hunt. Um. I say I hunt elk for meat, and I've really developed a taste for six sixpence. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But yeah, it's like, yeah, uh, the main thing I'm after. Like if, like, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. If you, if I had a dead caribou laying there, any of the caribou we've seen, anyone at all, and I had a dead caribou laying there, and in God came down and said, uh, "You gotta, you can take the rack or the meat," I, I, I wouldn't even think about it. Right, right. Let me take the meat. But here, that's what I'm saying. Part of the thing is there's so many of them, and you're trying to to to, to milk out the experience. Mm-hmm. And I do like to have antlers around a lot. Um, I really just like that, and like to look at them and think about them and hold them and talk about them and all kinds of stuff. That here you can be like, okay, um. Barring some dramatic weather change, which I'm watching for, and, and, I'm pl- and I'm willing to alter my plans accordingly, barring that, in this moment, I'm going to look for the biggest damn caribou I can find.
5: I got a theoretical question. As, as an observer, <laughs> as a cine- cinematographer, <laughs> photographer, to clarify this to me, cause I'm not pulling the trigger. Even though I'd love to, in a different you know, circumstance. Hint, hint. <laughs> no. no, I I would prefer the photographies of Crew me hunt for me. 2018. But um say like we were in a situation where you guys hadn't had an intended hunt on a specific animal. We pop over a ridge and a, the one is just like a hand me that you haven't done anything specific to hunt that that caribou bull, but it is the one. Would you hesitate? For lack of the experience of hunting that specific animal, or if it was big enough and it was just like a standing there, it wasn't an intentional you know, strategic yep. process. You, you can you put it like? this
1: way. You could even make it easier. You could be like, you unzip the tent. Yeah. Just there he is in camp and he like won't leave. And he's, he's it's think a, about it. You think about it. Yeah, you get on, the you, camera guys. He's <laughs> still standing around. Yeah. Like some dude's like making coffee. still yeah. standing
2: around. my It depends on how good I am at mental masturbation. <laughs> how good I am at playing with my own mind. Well, I'd, I'd ask all of you guys. Because like, I would, I would say, I would say that it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as good. It wouldn't matter to me as much. It wouldn't be as valuable to me, okay? But I would also be like, but you'd be happy to go get this one if you snuck up on it. Yeah. And so here it is. Yeah, it's really tricky. But here's another thing of value to me, and this is all part of the mental masturbation game. Not mental masturbation. I don't want to short sell it because it's not mental masturbation. It's, it's like all part of the way in which we perceive our world and set goals and values and expectations. For instance, if, if someone said to you, would you rather come up with a really good idea and earn $100 million from that idea, or would you rather just have Publisher's Clearinghouse show up and give you $100 million? Most people are going to say, um, well, given my druthers, I'll go with the cool idea, and you'd be like, "Well, what's the difference? It's a hundred million dollars that you get. Why do you give a shit?" you would be like, "Because how I got it matters to me." Yeah,
5: mm-hmm.
2: and I would. It does in yeah. every aspect. The same reason, like the same reason that going to prostitutes isn't like that alluring to me. Yeah. It's like there's a there's a way in which you go after the things <laughs> that you want, in life <laughs> and a way in which you don't. <laughs> oh, oh,
5: oh. You know? No. And so, yeah. And I Jesus. see that in what you guys are talking about, and that was why was that
3: I asked a bad that question. analogy. It, it, yeah. That's a bad good analogy. Yeah, but I,
2: I <laughs> think you yeah, know, leaving out all the morality issues, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's like so. It's the so effort there, put forth. Yeah. yeah. And so if he's standing there, I wouldn't like it as much, and but it would trip me up because I'd be like, but, but there it is. Yeah. You know, but there it is. But yeah, and, and I'll point out, and this is a value to me. And I can't act this to be a value to anybody else. The two bulls we've gotten had no clue we were there and that yeah. is very important to me yeah no, we that's... were not we have not shot a bull that was looking at us yeah we I... shot bulls that we i mean you know it's, it's not i don't want to oversell it it's not like like killing an elk that doesn't know you're there is way different than killing a caribou that doesn't know you're there it takes a lot more skill to consistently kill elk that have no idea you're there
1: there's no belly crawling going really on, no. on this hunt
2: <laughs> i no, was laying on my belly yeah, i was laying, laying on my belly
5: <laughs> no but that answered my question it's a, the bigger part is the intentional effort
3: to to come to the
5: because end because i of enjoy the journey yes yeah, yeah i enjoy I, the yeah.
3: journey i'd say it was honoring the experience yeah mm-hmm. and, and part of that was not that's why i didn't shoot the one that i did and then in, in shooting the one that I did shoot um, So Steve Says let's go over here And so I don't know we take a quite a hike And it looks like we're going to take a, a very long hike And we get over to this spot Where we sit down And we're glassing and it's all oh, let's have Same thing let's have some sandwiches <laughs> It's like sandwiches if you need Something to show up you say let's have sandwiches <laughs> And I'm sitting there Looking I can't believe we walked all the way the hell Over here to have a sandwich and not see any caribou. (laughs) And we saw some... You were thinking that? Well, a little bit. But what I was really thinking (laughs) was... you knew they were right up on top of that bench. I just said so. But they weren't... (laughs) But they weren't... They didn't didn't appear. (laughs) It took a little while. But now we're glassing caribou that are another mile and a half away and talking about them and I'm like if they think I'm going to walk over there you know I, I and then I was like I'm going to get my mind right in case we're going to walk over there <laughs> so I'm going to have my sandwich I'm going to get my well. mind right and then like magic they appear up there although predictable magic I suppose they these this group appeared up on top of that ridge and
2: um, and you got to say when you're talking about these packs of 6 7 bulls the got antlers you know as tall again as they are at the shoulder and when they start coming over to the skyline, they just look up and it's just like, it looks oh, like man, that was timber. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like everything slows uh, down. Like timber coming over to skyline, man. What was, I had something I was going to add to that. The whole like, uh, not mental not masturbation there. and honoring ladies of the experience.
3: night. <laughs> it was, um, honoring the experience with the ladies of experiences.
2: the night. Oh yeah. I know what it was. Um honey is a life journey okay so it's like there's like a set of things that that you're like there's a bunch of experiences you're building and it's a discipline and it's a thing that you strive to get better and better at right and to understand better and better and better and any particular moment can't really be separated from that greater life journey so here you are in this in this like hunting paradise for a couple days but still within that are you know the, the 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 skill parts the things you strive to be good at which is like identifying an animal selecting that animal and then getting up on it without it being aware of your presence and then killing it in a very clean fashion so Yeah, you're still trying to, like, exercise that life discipline thing, even in a situation where it might not be necessary. Like, the lack of necessity doesn't make those things less valuable to me.
5: Yeah, exactly.
4: I, I was thinking about this a lot after I killed my caribou. And back to, like, oh, day one, you know, geez, was that, like, it just happened so fast. Did I work for this? Did I earn this? And I I literally thought of the story you told earlier that day, I think, when you were talking about the Picasso story, where he drew a picture on a napkin, and someone asked, you know, that can't be worth anything. Whatever you said, however much it was worth, but you said that uh, it only took you five minutes to draw that. But then he says, yeah, but it took me a lifetime for it to be worth that much money. I was like, yeah, this is a lifetime worth of work and experience that got me here in whatever way to this experience. Um, while it may have only been a day and a half actually out here in the tundra a lot of things led to this point
2: exactly Exactly. yeah it can't be like being here to see this you can't really divorce it from the broader context of things that even made you aware to know to come do it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Oh, life's journey man it's the truth I wish Giannis' dad was here. Giannis' dad would be in the hog having talk about life journeys and whatnot.
0: Life journey here, like figuratively and literally with the caribou. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're on a life journey.
2: And finally, Dirt Myth is here.
5: Oh, hey, guys. <laughs>
2: <laughs> to wrap What'd up our inductions. Now, Dirt, we don't know if it was effective or not. Because. <laughs> we don't know yet, but but dirt Fingers is crossed. Yeah, dirt is. Uh, I know dirt didn't want to bring this up because he doesn't want to. Um, dirt doesn't want to seem as though he's taking advantage of his, voice, huh? of, his of his position. Or desperate. W- within our friendship and organization. Yeah. But but Dirt is looking for a house-sitting position. In the Bozeman. Or ranch-sitting position in the Bozeman thing. Within 30-mile radius. Within 30 miles. <laughs> if you have property or, a, or ranch property, and Dirt was born on a damn ranch. Yeah, I can be useful. There's even a song about no that. No one's had to milk one cow. Not yeah, I was going to say, Doug wasn't one. impressed by that. Yeah. um, The handiest handyman on the planet. <laughs> Well knows how to take pictures, <laughs> weld, fix stuff, troubleshoot, tinker. No uh, animal identification
5: skills really. But. Doesn't know if house
2: sitting your property involves <Bob's> telling chipmunks <laughs> from <some> squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> that's a trouble. big part of it. <laughs> right, but if you <laughs> need him to
5: feed uh
1: ducks and uh chickens he can do that. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and like dirt dirtless is a somewhat nomadic lifestyle and in his in his, his his lover. Um
5: you guys call okay. each other that? Oh yeah.
2: She lives a somewhat nomadic. <laughs> <laughs> lives a somewhat nomadic lifestyle, but um, and so it doesn't always make a lot of sense for Dirt to go have like a regular <laughs> domicile that most people would recognize as such. <laughs> um, and the, oftentimes lives out of his truck, but he, being the most responsible guy on the planet, is looking for that. Thank
5: you. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I, I want to give my, my number for but. Pot, like rentals in the in
5: the. Oh, yeah. Right. If it was out of town, yeah. we're looking for ideally, yeah, caretaker, just to have that, that responsibility. So, to that what degree
2: nice are you too. willing to work? Like, how much hours do you have to really put into <laughs> taking care of said individual's property?
5: Like, on average, over a month, maybe 10, Ten hours, hours, of hours of labor. A month. Yeah, like I mean, but that's heavy duty, 10 labor. hours. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the ideal situation would just be to disallow a place to fall into to discrepancy to, or. De- decrepit, decrepency.
2: But I don't think you can add the E N C in decrepit.
5: Decrepitness. Can
4: you
2: mark? Oh, geez. it's
5: been too Decrepancy. long. Since
2: I've I'm saying tried that no, one.
5: no. <laughs> but just to allow a a decrepit c- state to maintain a place, not to milk your cows or. <laughs> so if there's a cow
2: that needs to be milked, you're out like a trout. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
5: <laughs> just because I, I have a job that I love and am away for yeah, a
2: lot. But if someone said, "Hey, man, um, the fence is." Like, could use some TLC. Oh, yeah. Over time, it'd get (laughs) yeah, yeah. And you you would take that on. Or if they were saying, like, hey, this rusty hunk of metal, I wish was permanently affixed to this other rusty hunk of metal. Sign me up. You would go and get that tip welded up.
1: Hey, we got this, like, old 82 Toyota Tacoma sitting in the barn. Oh, man. Needs a little TLC.
5: Rebuild that sucker.
2: You'd rebuild it from the ground up.
5: So that's that. I guess get, get a hold of me through uh, the, the processes. Let's,
3: let's give out your
5: phone
2: number. Uh, I can't do that. Does anybody else have any like, um, thing they need to sell or anything out here? Like, <laughs> now I feel bad. No, no, no. I do this appreciate this This yeah. is not a service. This is not a service I really like to provide, but for you, I'll provide it. Well, thank you. A home man. placement service. Um, but, but for you, for you I, I, I would do anything.
5: It's a life journey. Who knows?
2: Finally... Oh, uh, Giannis, remember? Yeah, this has all been a test to see if Yanni could remember something, and now we'll see.
1: Oh, now it's got dark. I can't even read my notes anymore. There we go.
2: Yeah, look at notes.
1: Well, we're gonna talk about the uh, your vortex.
2: Well, I don't need to look at notes for it. Don't, so, don't
1: look at it. See, them. here
2: I am, after all, doing it. <laughs> so, uh. Our good buddies at Vortex are doing a thing called Your Vortex, right? It's a it's a contest, and to enter the contest, tell them, them what's what to do, Yanni.
1: You're gonna submit video clips, unedited video clips of your experiences that um, you feel jive with uh, the Your Vortex. Um, how would you put it?
2: Just, like, like great, vid- great moments, great, great captured moments. moments. By non-edited doesn't mean bad moments, but, like, you don't need to get in there and manipulate the clip. Like, get a great moment from your life, hunting, whatever, that really, you know, makes you yeah. feel pumped up about.
1: I feel like there's going to be thousands of hunting-related ones. I feel like the winner of the contest is going to be a non-hunting-related. I disagree. Hu- your Vortex. You watch someone's gonna come up with something slick. It's not gonna be like it might, it's it's gonna have like a hint. Obviously, it has to to be a connection, right? Or maybe not, because it could be just a shooting sports enthusiast that submits a, uh, you know, an unedited clip.
2: Yeah, but I can't really speak to that world as much as I can. So imagine that you got some amazing little clip of, uh, you like rip out a. You rip out a bugle and all of a sudden some giant bull, fraught, the craziest screaming bull, right, steps out. And I've just, already ah! seen that
1: ten times, a hundred times. I'm going to get more excited, and I'm not going to get to You're judge to on judge, this, but I don't but know. Maybe I will, but I'm thinking like someone's little kid you just catch like your boy just picking up the binos for the very first time and he puts them up and he's like looks through them holds them nice and steady and then looks back and he's like daddy mommy i just glassed up a fill in the blank
2: yeah so stuff video clips like that and you send them in um and you get as 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 Mark over at Vortex put it, glass rich and famous. Because if you win, you get a, you get like a like a, you get cool, expensive, guaranteed for life optics. And then your video clip also becomes part of a broader thing made from all the best submissions. So go where, where do you go to join?
1: Go to their website. They got a button hashtag your Vortex. Go there. You can read all the rules and regulations. <laughs>
3: Yeah, go win because a bunch they of were so clearly explained here, or not so clearly explained here. Go win a bunch of
2: stuff. Your vortex contest. Get after it. Anybody else have anything they want to add? Selling, buying, renting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ridge Pounder, you're not even. But I got a mic, but you got anything you want to add? I'm just taking it all in, man. Okay, so you're not selling anything. No. Nope. Trying to get anything out of this. Mm, no. Nope. Okay just enjoying the no product recommendations. We're just back,
1: man. Just After being gone for a, roughly a year, I guess. A right? little while, man. Yeah. Happy to be back. No, over a year. June, oh. June of, of 16. Last year, yeah. Here yeah. we are. Happy to have you back. I'm stoked
2: to be back. Um, I'm not going to let everybody do a concluding thought cuz there's too many concluding thoughts. But I would like to invite uh first Mark would you like to do a concluding thought?
1: Yeah, but I think if someone really has one, if you, you got a
2: it. ripper, <laughs> Dirt already did his. And it was about his plea, <laughs> his housing My plea. No, no, I'll if play trump a trump card. Ripper. You have
1: something to add, Gary? You do. All right, thank you. <laughs>
2: All right, so start with Mark, who's actually being invited to have one. <laughs> well, I appreciate that invitation. You, is there anything you'd like to add?
4: You know, I think it's. I think. We've talked about it over and over again, but it's just been an unbelievable all-around experience, everything from the landscape to seeing the wildlife to the interactions with grizzlies, actually filling our tags with caribou, the social, you know, experience has been awesome, the whole thing, incredible experience. Um, But being a whitetail guy, you know, growing up, doing that, there's so many people that live in a place where there's white tails and they love it and they eat it and they breathe it and they sleep it, but they never go outside of that boundary. And I've been lucky the last few years to be able to experience some of these different things, starting an elk hunt, one of my first antelope hunt, not my first caribou hunt. And I think I would just encourage all those hardcore whitetail guys who absolutely love it and think, I, I don't ne- never want to do anything else, this is all I need, that there really is a lot of value in experiencing these different places, these different species. Um, And it's very doable. Yes, this specific type of hunt is a little bit out, maybe outside of the easiest economical or achievable hunt for the average guy, but there are places where you can go have an incredible experience many times on public land, which is an awesome privilege we have, that is very affordable, not too terribly difficult, so I'd say go out there and try these things. Do these things. Go to new places. Um, I'm really, really glad I've been able to. Very thankful.
2: Well done, Mark. Thanks for coming on, man. And thanks for coming on the trip with us. <laughs> Thank
4: you
1: for having me. It's been unbelievable. Yeah, honey. That was a good closing thought, Mark. Thank I appreciate you. Appreciate it. Um. Yeah, and I feel like this one, I, I when Mark and I talked, that was a long time ago. At least a year. Which, which time? We had? A, we did a podcast. Yeah, I think. that
4: was last September.
1: And uh, you asked me what I recommended. Yeah. Maybe it was after the podcast. Yeah, we, we stayed on the line. You're yep. like, I'm thinking about going to Alaska. What should I do? I was like, man, if I was going to go, now that I've kind of done I have I haven't done it myself, but because we've been filming shows, I've seen some moose hunts, I've seen caribou hunts, blacktail, black bear, sheep, doll sheep. I was going to just recommend someone go and do, go and, a hunter, go and get, like, the Alaskan experience, I would go do caribou. It's like, you get the landscape, and you get to see an amazing migration, a bunch of animals, Um, I feel like you can do it semi-affordable. Yeah. Much more affordable than mountain goat, grizz, or doll, which you're going to have to get guided, and you're looking at probably, you know, 15-
2: Unless you got kinfolk like me, unless
1: you got kinfolk like Steve, um, yeah, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. Black bears, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity in the lower forty-eight to kill those. So I don't, you know, I mean, I know it's a special kind of a black bear hunt up here, but it still can be done in the lower forty-eight. Moose, they're cool, but man, you just don't get the action.
2: Like, no, you're putting in a lot of time yeah. for a little action.
1: But here, like this hunt. And, and and why I'm saying this because again I don't think it's, it's it's exorbitant. Like I think you really could if you pinched it, you could probably do it for less than five k.
2: Well, no, not if you do a haul. Ro- well, I don't know if we. Oh yeah, plug no, in no, no. you if you go, if a you go full on road system
1: cheap. DIY, but I think it'd almost be worth it to skip paying the flight that year to go do the road system hunt for two or three grand, and you know save another year. So that you could fly into the bush and come and see the hundreds of animals every day.
2: Yeah, I, I've done. A, I've done well four. I think four road system caribou hunts had great experiences on all of them.
1: But right. like you said, you didn't see this. No, off those on those. Being
2: slopes. able to fly in's real special.
4: I feel like this is as Alaskan of an Alaska experience as you could ever ask for.
1: Yeah, the bush plane flight alone.
4: Oh my gosh, is when we were flying in, this is kind of embarrassing, but when we were flying in, I'm sitting back there just rubbernecking the whole time. I literally broke out into, like, laughter, like, giggling, smiling, like, I can't believe this is real life right now. Yeah, <laughs> Like, yeah. this is the most incredible thing.
2: The other thing about doing caribou, if you're looking to, like, dip your toes into, um, a, a, you know, if you're looking to dip your toes into a self-guided hunt, and I really would, there's no, like, I don't. It, yeah, it doesn't mean don't don't go hire a guide to go on a caribou hunt. Just go, um, because. <laughs> why is that? What's what's wrong with that?
1: Well, because I think you're uh, you're assuming that uh, everybody has the uh, experience. Level, well, that's what. Or, that, or, that's
2: what I was gonna. That's no. what I was gonna get to. Um, I, I think you will be able to figure it out. I, I think it takes the least. Of, you know, this is, this is it just it's very circumstantial, but I think like you can pull it off with a lot less life experience than one would need to pull off a lot of other non-guided hunts in this state. You know, it's like operating up here is always, is operating up here in any kind of, in a non-guided sense, operating up here is vastly more difficult than anything you will do in the lower 48. It just is everything is different.
0: The logistics and the safety and all that yeah. is what you gotta be good at rather than being some super badass hunter. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You need to be good at like thinking through situations you might get into because you can't walk out to the truck. Mm-hmm. And when the weather's bad, a plane is not gonna come get you. And so you need to be ready to be stuck. And you need to be ready to solve your own problems. It is not gonna be a quick response time. It could be you could be days away from help in an emergency. So there's that, right? Which is not a small thing. But I would say that just the level of expertise needed um in terms of finding it like just everything, man. I just think it's like a great it's a great introduction. And why like, why bring in the why bring in the insulation and buffer of a guide when you could go have a, a more real, genuine experience of figuring it out on your own?
1: Can I add to that because you just brought it up a little bit—the yeah. whole hunting with the guide thing—and there's the insulation, right? And I've had this sort of a de- ongoing debate argument with some other people that, um our guides themselves they go hunt with guides and they're like man i love going to hunt with guides it's like they like they know the country they know like where the best of the best is it's just like this great trip for me you know like all that i love about it and i feel that those people just don't value like the challenge of having to go in there and figure out on their own or what you just described like you have to want to have that challenge and to be like, okay, I got to figure this out on my own because I don't have the dude that you know knows this basin or knows how to walk out of here. You know that unknown. You have to highly value that um, to go that route. Yeah, well, there's some of
2: grown ups that read Harry Potter, right? And there's some that read Pynchon. It's just like mm-hmm. there's like different kinds of people out. There. You know, there's two but kinds there's of people out people there. Also, people who hunt with guys
0: <laughs> because they've developed this relationship with them and they want to go. Hunt with their buddy every year, their guide who's become a very good
2: friend, you know? Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. But since I didn't have like hours to explain my perspective (laughs) and like roll in every possible (laughs) caveat, I'm just saying that that this is a doable, it's a doable thing. Yeah, if you're gonna pick
0: an Alaska hunt, an unguide Alaska hunt, this is the one. It's a doable thing. If
2: you've never... Hunt, yeah. I don't, know, I don't even know why I'm even engaged in this conversation. Brody, what do you got for concluding the thoughts?
0: <laughs> I'm pretty much good. I mean, I'm just... <laughs> I, I'm glad I got to meet Mark and Doug, and it's been awesome. Well, oh, you had
2: not met Doug before? No. No. No, this
0: is the first time. I, my concluder is I hope I don't have to hold on to my... My tent pole tonight <laughs> Oh man,
1: we didn't even get to touch we didn't on touch. the yeah, wheels. That was hurricane.
0: Yeah. Hurricane force winds the first Gosh, night. sleeping a little yeah, difficult. We're gonna
1: bring it up because this is the shit that maybe we maybe the camera guys need to start stepping it up. And when there's gale force winds, you guys just gotta plug in the batteries and get out in there and start filming so that so they can make it into a the show. Night. Because we have like death hikes that don't make it into the show. And now the first night we are here, it blows hard no it wasn't quite <laughs> enough to hold me up i tried leaning into it a little bit as i was out redoing the stakes and it wasn't <laughs> quite that but I, when i woke up brody you can finish up here because i think you get <laughs> your stories worse when i i wake up finally and i open my eyes I, well we've been in and out of sleep because it was the wind was shaking the tent a lot but i'd wake up everything was all good and then finally i opened my eyes once And I'm like, holy shit, Chris, 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 Chris. (laughs) And I can see Chris on the other side of the tent, but I can also see all of the tundra behind Chris. (laughs) (laughs)
0: None of the tent wall behind Chris is attached to the ground anymore. (laughs) Uh, And I'm
1: thinking I need to just wake him up so he will grab the edge and just pull it back to the ground and hang on to it so I can restake, which is pretty much what happened, right, Chris? Yeah. So we did that. What well, we did, what then happened is we restaked, Brody's up, restaking too over at his scent. I'm like, all right, he's got, he got it taken care of. So Chris and I each dig out some uh, earplugs somewhere, put in our earplugs and go to sleep, sleep the rest of the night. But well, we didn't hear, Brody.
0: Well, it, it got worse, it got a little windier and the wind kind of shifted around to a different direction and, uh half the tent blew up and and these tents have one big long it's not like a teepee style tent
2: yeah he's in the gear tent
0: and I'm in the gear tent which means there's a lot of like expensive shit that we need to make this show with and and the tent blows up and the only thing holding it here is the the main stake (laughs) so for probably 20 minutes I'm just holding on to that stake hoping the tent doesn't (laughs) blow into the canyon below us and uh (laughs) Trying to yell at these guys, come and help me! But they had some real good earplugs <laughs> in.
5: <laughs>
0: Eventually, it died down enough where I could get get some rocks on the tent and have it
2: hold till the morning. Now but, I don't want to play good camper, bad camper, but Ridge Pounder can back me up on this. I I'm sleeping in a little three person three person Nemo tent, a Hornet, nice low profile,
0: low to the ground, low
2: profile, low to the ground, and not just that. But as I explained to Pounder, I found the lee of a hill. Then within that, I found the lee of a rock outcrop. And within that, I rocked the... I, like, had a small quarry going on and staked out and then piled rocks on my stakes, and I slept through that thing. You were playing the
0: long game with your tent-choosing spot. Yep.
2: (laughs) And I went around spreading word to other campers in my vicinity <laughs> that
0: I would advise rocking
2: out their tent. I'm very glad. Well, we these did.
0: tents were look; these tents were rocked out. It was blowing hard enough that th- that wind was moving those rocks. No, around. I'm
2: with you. I'm with you. yeah. And this is a very different beast because you're in the, you're in the big yeah. gear tent. I'm in a little, low profile tent.
0: Yeah, yeah. That that support pole was buckled in the wind, man. It was pretty impressive.
2: All right, so, dirt I guess you get, like, you know, because Yanni came to your defense, you get a <laughs> second go-around on a concluder.
5: I would just say it has been spectacular filming and photographing. Phot- photographing. <laughs> 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 Damn it. It's been spectacular to cover this uh, the spectacle up here on the 40-mile herd.
2: All it's been good to see. have you. Sweet. Is it? Yeah. Anyone else? Any last thoughts? Oh. Dog got his
3: concluder? You know, I um I didn't and Oh sorry, Doug. And no, I, <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Um which I really am just happy to be here, but you know, for someone who's done ninety-nine percent of his hunting on private land. And
2: uh not just that, but land you own.
3: Yeah. Um you know, I've been supportive of conservation on public land as well but my focus has been conservation on private land to come up here and to be a part of this and to be in this to fly over it, to fly into it to be dropped in the middle of it um, it's just very overwhelming quite honestly to be to be here and I'm uh, so happy that it exists and um. Very happy that I now have a public land story to tell. Was and, that the first big game
0: animal you've you've taken that was not a whitetail? Yes, it's
2: pretty awesome. Yeah, I didn't. You know, we talked about that, but I hadn't really it hadn't really occurred to me until until tonight. All right, man. Well, let's let's do a moment of silence. Hmm. To 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 just experience the um the, the, the rain on tent. <laughs> there you have it ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining. Talk soon. Hey, I'm excited to share our newest sponsor here on the Meat Eater Podcast, which is Poncho Outdoors. The reason I'm excited is I buy their shirts anyways. Dude, they make some good shirts. And they even have an option where if you're like a skinny dude, you can click like the skinny dude thing. It's great. Based in Austin, Texas, Poncho is committed to crafting the world's best outdoor shirts for men. Poncho is only sold on their own website. So head over to ponchooutdoors.com, use code MEATEATER for a free hat or T-shirt, ...with any purchase of a shirt. Poncho offers free shipping and returns, so you can try them out risk-free. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MeatEater for 10% off your purchase.